Let us pray before we go into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege and, and precious time to, to get back into the Gospel of Mark and to see your face and to learn uh, truths and principles and lessons that we can apply to our lives that we might be pleasing to you, God, as we follow Christ. What an amazing grace that you give to us, that you've opened our eyes to see the truth and given us hearts that want to obey. So thank you for everyone who you've brought here today, everyone who's listening on the live stream as well. Ask your, your spirit to, to work in each of us that we might, changed for your, we might be changed for your glory. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, let's turn to Mark chapter 10, folks. We are back in after a few weeks of other wonderful texts that were covered the last two Sundays. And as you're turning there, um, I want to just bring your attention to uh, the reality of the kind of interpretation of the Bible that is is prevalent uh, in much of today's church. And so in our Bible-believing, uh, Scripture-loving, Christ-exalting, gospel-centeredness, uh, we believe in God-centered theology, like uh, a God-centered hermeneutic, hermeneutic, the art and science of biblical interpretation. And so there's God-centered ways to understand and receive the texts, the passages, the chapters, the stories of the Bible. And then there's man-centered ways to receive that and to, to teach that and to preach that. And so when people um, are reading through the Old Testament, and you know, there's a lot of history there, a lot of narratives, you know, I, I try to remind people, try to remind our family, um, as you're reading those things, there's a lot of details, there's a lot of characters, there's a lot of people, um, but try to understand what God is revealing to you about himself. Okay, there's something about himself that he's, he's teaching us, about his character, about his nature, uh, about how he deals with people, and all the number of attributes and, and things that we need to learn about who God is. And so I'd like to say that in those, especially in those portions of scripture that are narrative or history, uh, God is the main character in every single story. Okay, God is the main character. When we go to the New Testament in the Gospels and the book of Acts, which is history, Jesus is the main character of every story. That being said, there are also lessons and truths and principles that we can learn from the human characters in these narrative portions of Scripture. And sometimes that's part of the primary point. And many times it, it is the primary point. But I heard a sermon recently that said of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 that we covered in Mark um, not too long ago, that that story was an example of what we get when we're believing in God and willing to share what we have. Okay, so the lesson was, from the feeding of the 5,000, because the boy who had the five loaves and two fish had faith and was willing to share... God performed a miracle that fed 5,000 people, and they, had, they all had leftovers. Okay, so, so the lesson of this sermon was when you have faith in God, he always comes through and provides abundantly, even more than you need. And so it became about the boy and his, 
his, his food and his, his faith and his willingness to share. So hopefully we can understand that that is a man-centered hermeneutic, a man-centered lesson rather than a God-centered message. And uh, in various uh, ways, that kind of, um, you know, putting us in the story and, or putting us in, as the main characters in the story, uh, that kind of teaching and preaching is, is um, happening more and more in pulpits today. So as we look at our passage in Mark chapter 10, this teaches us once again, as Mark has been doing, okay, of Christ's identity and Christ's character. And we all need to know and appreciate and love who Jesus is. And every time we go to the Gospels, we learn more of his amazingness. At the same time, we meet a man named Bartimaeus, a poor blind beggar. And there are some important lessons for us to learn through his encounter with Jesus. So having said all that, these lessons are going to kind of make up the, the, the flow of the text here. And the lessons that we can learn involve what we should do when Jesus comes along. Okay, that's the title of today's message, what to do when Jesus comes along. For us, we are not physically blind people in Jericho in the street begging as, as Jesus physically comes walking by. But Jesus does come across our life's paths, in a sense. And how is that, you might ask? Hey, can I say to the unbelievers in the house today, I'm so glad you're here, or unbelievers who are listening uh, in the live stream, when you hear about Jesus from sermons like this, okay, or, and you're, you're faced with an encounter with Jesus, okay, that's Jesus coming along your way, or when someone shares the gospel with you, Okay, or when a, a Christian comes and, and ministers Christ and comes to serve you in his name. In a sense, Jesus is coming your way. So the question is, what should you do when Jesus comes along your path? For believers, those of us who have received the incredible, invaluable, indescribable gift of salvation, Jesus abides in us. He's with us always. He promises never to leave us or forsake us. But the question is, are we always abiding in him? Ruth's offertory was so wonderful if you were following along with those words. Okay, are we always abiding in him? Are we always with him and following him? Okay, Jesus is always around. He's always around us. Praise the Lord. But what do we do in different life situations, okay? especially those difficult times and circumstances and struggles? Are we calling out to him, leaning on him in faith okay, for relief, for comfort, for solutions, for how we can glorify him? So our title, once again, is What to Do When Jesus Comes Along. And I'll give you the, the theme. It's, it's, it's up there now, and it's in your, um, your bulletin as well. But um, the sermon theme is when Jesus comes across your life or your way or your path, you should call out to him in faith. And he will give you mercy. And I want this to be, uh, I mean, it's an encouraging text. And it should be encouraging to our hearts. So what do we do when Jesus comes along? All right, so here's the, here's the text. It's Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52, as we get back into this wonderful gospel. Um, if you're able to stand, please stand with me as we honor God's word. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52 is our passage. And this is the word of God. 
Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Please be seated. So we have some lessons to learn here from a poor blind beggar. And uh, these points, there, there's five lessons as we go through the text. They just kind of flow out, so it'll be easygoing in a, in a sense. But, of course, along the way, as I started off saying, we're going to be reminded of the amazing character and identity of Jesus Christ. Okay? So hopefully all of that is in place. And the first lesson is this. Don't miss out when Jesus comes across your life or your path. And don't miss out when Jesus comes across your way. Let's just put it that way, right? And this is in verses 46 and 47. The passage starts out, Then they came to Jericho. This is Jesus, his disciples, right? He was, and then it says, and he, as he was leaving Jericho. So like I've been telling you, like we're just a few short months away from the cross. And Jesus is teaching and training his disciples as they travel on their way to Jerusalem. Jericho is about a day's journey to the big city. So he's got the 12. He's got the large crowd with him. And this is the last healing miracle that's mentioned in Mark's gospel. It's the only time that Mark mentions the name of the one healed. Right? So there's something personal. There's something specific about this. Okay, this man's name is Bartimaeus. He is the son of Timaeus. It's like Bar, right? The Aramaic, Jewish Aramaic, son of it's like uh, Simon Bar-Jonah, right? Simon, son of Jonah. But interestingly, Bartimaeus can also mean son of honor. But there was not much honor, it seems, in his life. As he's a, a blind beggar sitting by the road, okay, begging for alms from those who are passing by. As we're aware, most people in Jewish culture believe that blindness was a curse from God due to some sin, right? Either the sin of the parents or a sin of the man. And uh, we, we see that in John chapter 9. So Bartimaeus was a poor man, outcast from regular society, reduced to begging on the street for survival. Not much honor for the son of honor. By the way, Matthew's account speaks of two blind men, whereas Mark and Luke mention one. Hey, Mark and Luke don't say there, there was only one. They just mention one. Apparently, Bartimaeus represented both of them, perhaps being the one mainly speaking, 
And Mark is highlighting his part in the interaction here. So there's no contradictions, just different accounts bringing out their particular emphases to the particular audiences that they're talking to. We have four Gospels, right? So back to verse 46. It's like any other day in the life of Bartimaeus. The sun could have been shining bright out there, but it's completely dark to him. He's on the street begging for money. But then, perhaps the tramp of many feet were unusually loud that day, and the murmur of the crowd was a bit more excited, perhaps. Something unusual is going on. So he inquires, and he hears that Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Well, he cries out, and that word, it means he, he shouts out. He screams so you can hear it from a distance. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This, folks, is the right response when we hear that Jesus is coming by. We only get so many chances in life to come to Jesus, and we shouldn't miss it. That's the first brief applicational lesson. I I did a a burial service of sorts um, just two days ago on Friday. Uh, some of you remember Jose Pineda, um, who came for a while. And his, his death was over a year ago now, um, but he was cremated. And so the, there were some complications with his service. But anyway, it ended up being yesterday. And I was honored to be of service to the family and the friends there, around 35, 40 people there. And it became evident um, during and throughout the time, talking with some of the, the family members and, and the folks who were there, that many, if not most of them, uh, we're not churchgoers for sure, and um, not believers in Jesus Christ. So the gospel message uh, that was shared uh, as I, I had a chance to speak was, was Jesus coming by. And Jesus coming by, and, and the invitation was there for them to come to Jesus. And this was quite possibly their one opportunity to come to him in faith. I, I pray it's not. I pray it won't be the last time they ever hear the gospel, but that's a possibility. And I pray that they wouldn't miss it. They wouldn't miss that time to come and believe in Christ. So the first lesson is, don't miss out when Jesus comes across your way. A blind Bartimaeus didn't, and he jumped on his chance, and we shouldn't either. The second lesson is this, verse 47 and 48. Don't be ashamed to call out for mercy to Jesus in faith. Don't be ashamed to call out for mercy to Jesus in faith. Verse 48 says, Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So this this Bartimaeus, the son of honor, had no shame once he heard that Jesus was in town. The annoyed people in the crowd or of the city they were telling him to, to keep it down. They rebuke this blind beggar for such irritating behavior and uncouth, loud yelling. But he was not ashamed in the least. And we should understand that this man was in desperate need, was he not? Such distress, such dire straits, and he somehow knew that Jesus could help him. So he cries out, cries out, just mercy, mercy, mercy on me. Just like that, that sinful tax collector in the parable that Jesus tells, right, in Luke 18. 
God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He can't even look up. It's an acknowledgement of helplessness, of misery, of unworthiness, along with a, a strong confidence that Jesus had both the ability and willingness to help him. And he had no shame admitting all of it. It was loud, it was public, it was urgent. You might have noticed that he says, Son of David, twice here. Okay? And, and the, the verbs, when it says crying out there, they're, they're, he's doing it multiple times. Okay? It's not just two times. Repeatedly. This shows that he has some knowledge of who Jesus is. Because that, that title, Son of David, okay, which in the Greek text is it's put first for emphasis. Okay? Not Jesus, Son of David, but Son of David, Jesus. This is a, a known messianic title. It was used at that time to refer to the coming Messiah, the one who would establish the coming kingdom. Everybody knew it, the son of David. That's what it meant, Messiah. We're going to see in chapter 12 of Mark, a couple chapters from now, that Jesus clarifies further that the Messiah is not only a son of David in the line of David, but also that he is David's Lord. And in the parallel passage in Matthew 20 and also in Luke 18, in their accounts, Bartimaeus calls Jesus Lord multiple times. And I read earlier, verse 51, here back in Mark, Bartimaeus addresses Jesus as Rabboni, which is a, a heightened form of master or even my master. It literally translates to my great one. Hey, the only other place in the New Testament that Jesus is called that is in John chapter 20, verse 16 when Mary Magdalene encounters the resurrected Christ. In other words, what I'm saying is this. Okay, Bartimaeus, he's showing a knowledge of Jesus' identity okay, and great reverence in all of this, crying out for mercy, addressing him as Lord, as Son of David, as Great One. In whatever limited knowledge he has, it's with a, a clear understanding of his own desperate need, and in good faith, he calls out to Jesus. There's no shame. And so, once again, brief application, folks. Hey, we should have no shame in calling out to Jesus in faith. Are we humble enough to recognize that we are in desperate need, desperate need of mercy? Hey, God gives us mercies every morning for believers, Right? His mercies are new every morning. But sometimes we kind of sidestep all that. Okay, God's word says, especially as we consider people who are not saved at this point, it says that it is appointed for man to die once, then comes the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, right? Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Okay, there's an urgency there. Jesus is on a one-way trip to the cross at this point. And he's just passing through Jericho for the last time. And I don't know if Bartimaeus specifically knew that or not, but in his poor, blind state, he took his chance to beg. But he wasn't begging for alms when he heard it was the Savior, the Messiah. He was begging for what? Begging for mercy. Mercy. I want to ask, are you humble enough, unashamed enough to do that? If you are not saved this morning, this could be your last chance. This could be your last opportunity to call out to Jesus 
and your eternal destiny is at stake. Okay? And it could be changed from, from hell to heaven. Okay? All of your sins can be forgiven by asking Jesus for mercy, asking him to forgive you and to be your personal Savior and Lord. You, you might not have the opportunity again. The 18th century missionary to the American Indians, David Brainerd, he was once witnessing to a, a tribal chief who was close to trusting in Christ. He was sharing the gospel with them. But somehow this chief, he held back. So Brainerd got up, he took a stick and drew a circle in the dirt around the chief. And he said, decide before you cross that line. Why was Brainerd so urgent about it? Because he recognized that Jesus was, was passing by the chief at that moment. And he might, he might never be so close again. So as the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And the invitation is to, to come to Jesus, turn to Jesus and live and live. So don't be ashamed to call out for mercy to Jesus, folks. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is in verses 49 to 50. And I think this comes straight out, and it says, don't hesitate when, when Jesus calls you. Okay, don't hesitate when Jesus calls you. Verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him here. Jesus stopped. And I think we should stop. Okay, pause for a moment to look at Jesus, right? As we're learning these lessons, let's just pause for a moment. The Lord stopped. Why don't we stop? Okay. So he has his 12 with him, all this crowd around him, other followers, people of the city all around in Jericho, and he stops. He stops for an outcast, blind beggar, possibly homeless, nothing to offer, nothing to give. And I don't want this to be lost on us, that the one who stops here is Jesus Messiah, right? The King, the Lord of Lords, God the Son the king of glory. He stops everything, pausing his journey. Remember, he's on his last leg on the way to the cross before he's going to die for the sins of the world. And yet, he stops to serve this poor, blind beggar. The parallel passage in Matthew, Matthew 20, it says that he was moved with compassion. You know, our reminder, once again, of the amazing care and, and uh, just concern and humility of, of our Lord Jesus. He's for the downcast. He lifts up the afflicted. He feels the plight of those who are suffering, and he is moved to action to relieve that suffering. So the son of David tells the people to call Bartimaeus over, which some of the members of the crowd do. They say, take courage, stand up. It's calling for you. So what is, what is Bart's response here? And he reacts immediately. In verse 50, Mark gives the details, right? Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And that, that detail of throwing aside, that word apobalo in Greek, it means cast aside or, or even completely abandon. Okay, and it shows us that Probably he was not wearing the cloak. Upon first reading it, it looks like he took it and threw it off, right? But rather, it was probably spread out on the ground to collect coins from people 
as, as they passed by. And as a beggar, this was likely one of his only possessions. And yet he, he leaves it behind, throws it aside, abandons it, and jumps up right away to answer Jesus' call. Right? Clearly he believed in Jesus' ability to help him. His faith was, was an active faith, and it responded right away when Jesus said to come. And so, application again, folks. When Jesus calls us to come, are we so quick to answer? He tells us, Matthew 11, right? You know the verses. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart, and I will give you rest for your souls. I believe Jesus' invitation in that passage is made to unbelievers. So the invitation stands again to anyone here who doesn't yet believe in Christ, who has not yet received him as Lord and Savior, and has not yet trusted in his promise for soul salvation and eternal life and rest, will you come to Jesus even now, even now, at this third point in the sermon today? And I think we can apply this, that invitation more broadly to us who are saved. Are we still coming to Jesus? Are we still coming and learning from him? It's not a one-stop shop where we just learn the gospel and stop. Will we continue to learn from him? Are we experiencing his promise of rest and peace amid the, the weariness and struggles of life and dealing with remaining sins? His sins, by the way, which he's already paid for in full on the cross for us. Praise the Lord. To us, he says, come to me as well. I think sometimes, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we hesitate for whatever reason. Sometimes it's guilt. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it's reliance on self. Sometimes because we've simply fallen out of the habit and Jesus is not on our radar. He feels distant. Whatever the case is with, with you who are listening today, we see poor old Bartimaeus here. Again, humbled, desperate, needy, which we all are so much in need of God's grace, he didn't hesitate. Jesus called, Bart jumped. May we be so quick to heed our Lord's invitation. The fourth lesson in verses 51 and the first part of 52. Fourth lesson is this. Don't be shy about telling your Lord your needs. Don't be shy about telling your Lord your needs. And I love this in verse 51. In answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? Those of you who have been here for the last while listening to me preach through Mark's gospel, does that sound familiar? Look at um, chapter 10, verse 36. And he's speaking to James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, right? The sons of thunder. Verse 36, And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And he asked the same question to this blind beggar here. Jesus cares, he loves, he serves. Whoever it is, whatever the situation is. Okay, I, I mentioned back in verse 36 in that sermon, love is patient, Jesus is patient. And also this, it's not that Jesus doesn't know what Bartimaeus wants, okay, but he's giving him opportunity to express it, okay, to verbalize it, to ask it. And so the blind man says to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. 
Bart plainly tells the Lord what his request is. He wants to see again. It seems that he was not blind from birth, but that he became blind at some point in his life. With that implied reverence of that term, Rabboni, my master, my great one, he comes with his deepest need. And understand that this is an open confession of faith in Jesus' ability to heal him. He knows the one in whom he has believed. Okay, this is the one that can do it. So he just comes out with it. So dear ones, do we come in faith to the Lord with, with our deepest needs, okay, our most desperate struggles? Again, none of us here today are physically blind, poor beggars. But I'm speaking of and applying this to, to all of us and what all of us do have, okay, at least from time to time, which is this, okay, hearts that are hurting over something. Okay, one pastor wisely said to me a long time ago, every heart is a hurting heart and every home is a hurting home. And I believe that's true to, to some degree and maybe in some seasons more than in others. Every heart is a hurting heart in here. And every home is a hurting home. So I ask, are we going to Jesus with these hurts? Asking for specific help, entrusting all of those, those pains and sorrows and struggles to him. Let me say, that I think we should be specific about our needs and our requests. When we were... Um, just praying, we spent a portion of our time in Sunday school today praying for the salvation of certain family members who are on our hearts or we've been praying for specifically by name, by relation. And I, I want to say that, that let's not be general. Okay, don't leave our, our burdens and our requests unspoken. Jesus wants you to tell him. And if it's a, a struggle with, certain, with a certain sin or sins, or certain situation or situations or certain people or persons, bring it to the Lord. Okay, tell him in particular. Okay, he knows already, but he wants you to go to him in faith, in confession, in repentance, bear it all, and trust that he will answer and deliver you. So back to Bartimaeus here. Actually, back to Jesus. Okay, we should note the obvious fact that Restoring sight to a blind person was impossible. Okay, no one can just do that. I think those of us who have been in church for a long time and have heard the miracles and the, the stories, we kind of just, yeah, yeah, Jesus did that. But understand, nobody, nobody can do this. It's impossible. Even to this day, with all the advances of medicine and science and technology, no one has ever been completely cured of blindness. And interestingly, the Old Testament prophecies foretold that one of the things that the Messiah would do was to give sight to the blind. And the only person in Scripture who healed the blind was Jesus. And I'll remind you, Psalm 146, verse 8. Old Testament, Psalm 146, verse 8. says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Isaiah 29, verse 18. On that day, the deaf will hear words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, 
The eyes of the blind will see. Part of our scripture reading this morning, Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Jesus referred to this when he he told the messengers of John the Baptist. You remember this? He said, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. He's alluding to Isaiah 35. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Luke 7, verse 22, 23. But Jesus says specifically there, the blind receive sight. And so that Jesus was the one who was doing this, who did this, the only one, it shows once again his identity as the promised Messiah. He fulfills yet another Old Testament prophecy, and he does it in spades. Okay, healing the blind, this was the most frequent of the recorded miracles, uh, the category of miracles that, that are, are shown to us in Scripture, in the Gospels. So all to say, who else should we take our deepest needs to? Hey, don't be shy about telling them to your Lord, hey, the one who has power to even heal the blind. So continuing on here, Jesus Messiah says to Bart, Go, your faith has made you well. Hey, Bartimaeus' faith is confirmed. His request for mercy has been granted. It's just that word. Hey, Matthew says he touched their eyes. But it's been granted. And it's been granted doubly. When Jesus says your faith has made you well, it has a, a double meaning of physical and spiritual salvation. It's the same word he told a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Remember this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Okay, another translation of that is, thy faith hath made, hath made thee whole. Literally, your faith has saved you. Sozo, that's the verb there. Okay, not only does Bartimaeus immediately regain his sight, okay, which is a, a complete healing, he's no longer blind, he's no longer in the darkness, he's seeing everything clear as day, no follow-up appointment needed or ensuing patchwork procedure required. But more significantly, his spiritual eyesight is even more clear. He is in the spiritual light. Knowing who Jesus is as Messiah, as his Savior, his Lord, the eyes of his heart have been opened by the grace of God through faith in Christ. This all points us to the amazing grace and power of the Lord Jesus. No one has the ability to heal blindness, much less the ability to heal souls. No one else can perform such miraculous, instantaneous, supernatural, physical feats of restoring sight. And no one else can provide the even greater miracle of salvation. Who else can grant that gift of faith and eternal life? No one but Jesus Messiah. So we should be turning our eyes to him, turning our eyes to Christ. And before we get into the last point here, amazingly, this one, as he grants that gift of faith to blind Bart, he, he praises him for exercising that faith. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And we shouldn't be shy about going to our Savior, our Lord, with all of our deepest needs. Okay, last but not least, and this is going to lead us into our communion time, last lesson. 
Show your faith by following Jesus. It's the last part of this passage, verse 52. Show your faith by following Jesus. That's what it says there. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Jesus said, go, but instead of departing from him, Bartimaeus follows. Luke's account adds that he was glorifying God and others were praising him. And now that he's healed, he does what Jesus calls every disciple to do, which is what? Follow me. Follow me. That's a true disciple. And leaving all to pursue Christ. Bartimaeus didn't have much, but what he had, he abandoned it. He left it behind. And like we saw before a number of times in the last couple chapters in Mark, he follows Jesus on the road. That's the last three words of this passage. This is on the road, on the way. Hey, where? Where? Where is Jesus going? He's going to the cross. It's the path marked with suffering. It's, it's the road marked, named rejection. And its destination is death by crucifixion. The Savior is on the way to Calvary, and Bartimaeus is following him. And when your blind eyes are open to see who Jesus is, and you call out to him in faith, he will give you mercy. That's the theme today. And true disciples will follow him. They will follow him. It's not, I believe, and then I live the way I want, and just live the way that I used to, and think and act and speak like I used to. Oh, but, but I, I, I'm a believer. No. You get saved. Your eyes are open. God gives you sight. You're granted the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. You follow Jesus. You learn of him. You grow in your amazement and your love for him. And out of that love, you start to want to obey him. It's no longer a, a heavy burden to, to obey God. It's now freedom. It's now freedom to live the way he says is going to bring you joy. So true disciples will follow him no matter the cost. Whatever else is going on in life, whatever else has happened, because they realize the price of their forgiveness has been paid by the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. I think that's a good transition into our time of communion to the Lord's table, following Jesus in faith all the way to the elements here, taking communion reverently in true repentance. And I'll, I'll close with this this, uh, just, I, I, I heard a story of Bill Cosby, the comedian, who went to a, a hotel. He found out his friend, Ray Charles, the blind musician, was staying at. They were staying in the same hotel. So he went to his room, knocks on the door. Ray says to come in. And he comes in, and it's, it's pitch dark in there. And he goes in and he says, hey, Ray, where are you? And here's the electric shaver in the, in the bathroom. He says, oh, I'm in here. And so he goes in, and he says, hey, Ray, why are you shaving in the dark? And... You know, right after he said it, he realized that, you know. And so Ray Charles good-naturedly said, I do everything in the dark, brother. And so, um, you know what? I do everything in the dark. That's what stuck with me. Uh, For unbelievers, they literally do everything in spiritual darkness. And so the call today is for you to come to Christ because he says, I am the light of the world. 
And whoever follows me will, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of, of life. So that, that is the call to, to those who are unsaved. It's a call to those of us who are saved to continue following him. Praise God that we're no longer spiritually blind and in the darkness and fumbling around in life and confused and not knowing what to do and we bump into things and we fall and we stumble and that's Jesus picks us up he gives us the light as Pastor Bill said last week your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path and that is true for for those who are in the kingdom of light and are following our precious Lord and Savior Jesus